It is indeed good to be with you. Um, I am always grateful to come here and spend some time with uh, you saints here in Holland. And uh, I hope that you um, have had a good month. And I'm glad to be here sharing with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn them to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Uh, we will be starting this chapter uh, today, Um, we will be going through uh, about the first 21 verses, Luke 12. As I'm turning, I just want to thank you for your recent donation. It really does help, and uh, I've really been encouraged by your financial support as well as your um, love for me. And I just hope that you will continue to pray for me as I seek the Lord for what is what is to come for my ministry and in other areas of life. All right, um, today um, our our large topic at hand is Jesus is going to talk to us about different aspects of being prepared for the future. Um, And the first uh, point that we have is trust God and not yourself. Before... Um, I start reading. I'd like to once again open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we uh, lift our hearts to you and we ask that you would be here in a special way. We ask that you would show us your way and your will and that you would um, help us to glean that which we are supposed to from your word. Help us to leave here changed people and help us to use those changes to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, like I said, the first point is trust God, not yourself. And for that, we look at Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. Luke 12, verses 1 to 7. In the meantime, when they were gathered together in innumerable numerable multitude of people insomuch as they trod one upon another he began to say to his disciples first of all beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy for nothing is covered that shall be revealed neither hid that shall be known therefore whatsoever you have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are in all numbered. Fear there, fear not therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. And so, 
Um, so uh, Jesus is laying this out before us um, about how the Pharisees um, are trusting in themselves. Uh, many times they would tell um, Jesus that we're Moses' disciples or we know the law or when they were dealing with the man born blind who was healed they, they had the audacity to say you, um, you, were born in, you were born altogether in sin and do you teach us as if they had achieved some sort of status that was above sin and we know if we look in Romans chapter 1 that no one seeks after God. No one understands. So the very fact that we seek God is a gift of God itself. I was thinking about the verse the other day, for by grace you have been saved <clears throat> and not of works. And it says that you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. And often we, we think of the fact that we're not saved by ourselves, we're saved through faith by His grace. But I was thinking about how perhaps that verse was even going further and saying that even the faith to believe was coming from God. And surely we see at least a degree of that when we realize that Jesus said, No one comes to me except the Father draws him. And at the same time he says, Whosoever will may come. Somehow, both of those truths balance out in Scripture and give us the glorious truth that salvation is available to everyone who will receive it. And so, then Jesus goes into these outward actions of piety and he's talking about how their inward attitudes and everything that they, that they actually do and how they actually feel will be one day revealed. He says, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And there's only one way to deal with those things. The psalm says that he casts our sin as far away as the east is from the west. And so... I don't have to worry about this because my sin is covered. My sin is taken away because Jesus paid it all. And there's nothing more that I can pay. Nothing more that I can do. And uh, then he says, Whatsoever is spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon housetops. And sometimes we think about evil people and we say, well, God, why are they getting away with all this? Over the past few months, there have been several undercover videos that have been released um, showing Planned Parenthood and some of their devious practices. We won't go into detail here. But some of their shoddy dealings were revealed. And yet they still exist. They're still doing their murderous work. So part of me from a human level says, God, why? Why is this happening? 
But one day, all those people that are working for this organization that is snuffing out our future will be called into account for their actions. And then he says something very important. He says, I say unto you, friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. Paul understood this when he said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I would rather be, be, depart and be with Christ, but to be with you at this time is far better. But he's basically saying to those in the Philippian jail who are guarding him, if you, if you keep me alive, I'll win because I'll keep proclaiming the gospel. If you kill me, I'll win because I'll be with Christ. We talk about win-win situations. That's the best win-win situation I know of. And then he talks in verse 5 about fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. To hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. I would say, in this world today, there are two things we don't have enough of. We don't have enough fear of God, and we don't have enough fear of the devil. I, I, I think I read a statistic once that said like 85% of people believe that there's a heaven. And I don't remember what the number is, but a significant less, significantly less amount of people believe that there's a hell. And yet we read in the Bible that Jesus spent more time talking about hell than he did about talking about heaven. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that no one went there unnecessarily. I used to preach, and so do many others, that God sends people to hell because He can't stand sin. And surely people do go to hell because they are sinners, but He doesn't send anyone there. They choose to go there by rejecting Him. And He, in fact, has opened His arms so wide that anyone can run to them. The, psalm, the Proverbs say, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. The thief on the cross, when he saw Jesus' arms spread wide and nailed to that cross, he ran to those arms. Though he couldn't get off the cross, though he couldn't do any works, he ran to the arms of Jesus. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then, this is what he said to people that do not yet believe. And then he has these wonderful words for those who are believers. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God. We often use the phrase, I would forget my head if it wasn't screwed on. And yet God is such a God that He doesn't forget two sparrows. When you look up to the sky and you see a, a flock of birds heading south for the winter, 
you may say, I don't have time to count them. I don't know how many there were. I just know there were a lot. But he knows. He's counted them. And then he says, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbers. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And we, we I, I've read this passage many times. I've thought about this passage many times, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe that we are of more value than many sparrows? I think sometimes we don't. We look for our identity in so many things on a human level. We, there was a young lady who kind of made headlines this week because she was a very popular social media presence. And she even was so popular that she got paid to be on social media. But she closed it all down because she said that every day she was looking for that approval, that next like on Facebook, that next uh, share on Instagram. And she said it was all empty. Now, I don't know if she has come to know Jesus Christ yet, but I pray for her because the first step to being filled by God is to be emptied of everything else. So my prayer is that someone will come into her life or she'll stumble on something on the internet that will show her the way to life. That if your life is empty, it can be filled to overflowing if you trust Christ. I would recommend that if you don't already, that you would listen to Unshackled, which is a radio drama that comes out every Sunday on OnePlace.com or on iTunes. I don't know where it's on in the radio. It used to be on the radio around here. I don't know where it is now. But every week for the past 50 years, 50 plus years, they've been sharing testimonies of how God has changed the lives of individuals. And He can do the same for you. If you look at all through the Bible about God, He's concerned about the individual. Yes, there were messages that he gave to groups, but he's also very concerned about the individual. Remember, God gave Peter a prediction that he would one day be crucified, basically. He said, they'll lead you where you don't want to go, and then they'll stretch forth your arms and make you do things you don't want to do. And Peter said, well, what about him, Lord? And he pointed to John. And, Peter said, and Jesus said, don't worry about him. What is it to you if he lives till I come? And apparently there was a rumor that went around for a while that John was never going to die until Jesus came back. And of course he did, eventually. But he ended up being the only of the apostles that was not murdered. They tried, they boiled him in oil, and he survived. And went on to live in exile in Patmos. But the point is, God has a different plan for each and every one of Him, each and every one of us, and we need to trust His will for us. I have a cross-reference here from 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Somebody could look that up. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. If you, if you get it and would like to read it for us, I would appreciate that. 
Christ our Passover and the sacrifice of Lord. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this goes back to what Jesus was saying about the, the Pharisees. Don't be a hypocrite. Get rid of the hypocrisy. Be honest. And notice, he's not saying in this passage that we just read, he's not saying be perfect. Although he wants us to ultimately be perfect. What he's saying is, be honest about your sin so you can purge it out. If, you're not, if you don't think that you've sinned, then you can't repent of your sin. And if you don't repent of your sin, you can't get rid of your sin. I have this poem, I'm not sure who wrote it, but I wanted to share it with you. About trusting God. As we've talked about this first point, trust God, not yourself. It says, trust Him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust Him when thy strength is small. Trust Him when to simply trust Him. Seems the hardest thing of all. Trust Him, He is ever faithful. Trust Him for His will is best. Trust Him for the heart of Jesus is the only place to rest. And I have to admit that over the past few weeks, it's been kind of difficult to trust Him. I've had some disappointments. But God is faithful. And just when I seem the most discouraged, He shows me in a way that I don't deserve that He's still there and that He still cares. One of those days was when I got your last check. And it was like God just simply whispering to me, Andrew, I have your back. I haven't forgotten about you. And He says the same thing to each of you. I don't know all your names. I should know most of your names by now. But God does know your name. And more than your earthly name, He knows the name that He's picked out for you. The Bible says we're going to get a new name at the end of time to go with our new body. Quite frankly, I'm really looking forward to the new body part. You know, we're going into the fall and winter, the hardest seasons on me physically. And yet I know that if the Lord tarries, spring will come. Spring always follows winter. Why? Because God is faithful. If you look through all the annals of history, you'll never find a time when spring didn't follow winter. And that happens in our life too. When we go through a winter in our life, there will be a spring. The second point about trusting Jesus and being prepared for the future is to trust Him now. Trust Him now. Luke 12, 8-13 And I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess Me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth Me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, 
Take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. And and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. All right, and we'll get into that. It actually kind of that last verse actually kind of goes more with the third point. But as we look at this second point about trusting God now, there's coming a day when everyone will bow their knee at the throne of Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone from Mohammed to Hitler to Barack Obama to Andrew Gamson. This is another thing that I'm looking forward to because my sins are covered. My transgressions are taken away. So I don't have to fear kneeling before Jesus because I've done it already. There's a song that says um, that someday every, every tongue will confess you are Lord. Someday every knee will bow. But the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. If you wait till then to choose Him, it will be too late. He will say to you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into, into everlasting punishment, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? He doesn't want you to do that. The Bible says in, in 1 Peter that he's not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then in 2 Peter, he says there's coming a day when the elements shall burn with fervent heat. And this earth, as we know, it will be destroyed, and then we'll get a new heaven and a new earth. So it's kind of funny, people talk about global warming often, and one time I was on Facebook and I interjected this into the discussion. I said, I believe in global warming. It's coming. And I quoted that passage, and some people may say, it's a metaphor, but my dad shared this quote for, with me many, many years ago, and I love it. And I take it as I apply the Bible. And it says, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. If Peter tells me that the earth is going to melt with fervent heat and be destroyed, why should I believe otherwise? Our eternal destiny hangs in the balance. And then he talks about if we confess him, he will confess us, but if we deny him, he will deny us. And then he says that if we speak a word against the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, we will be forgiven. But if we blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, meaning if we continuously reject him and never accept his free gift of salvation, we will be beyond forgiveness because we had the time, we had this window. And perhaps one day when you're standing before the Lord, you will remember this day. The first Sunday in November 2015 when you had the gospel before you and you had a chance to receive it. Not because 
I am so great, but because my God is great. Because He's always extending His hand toward us. We read earlier this morning in the breaking of bread that He is tender toward all. He is compassionate and slow to anger toward all. So that we would accept Him. My prayer for you is that you have. And if you haven't, why are you waiting? It's one of the greatest things you could ever do. Now, it doesn't mean that all your troubles are over. Paul asked for God to take away his thorn in the flesh three times. And God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then what did Paul do? He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. He's not saying, I'm getting rid of my infirmities. No. He's saying, in spite of my infirmity, I'm going to glory. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And Paul understood this the way few of us do. Part of it might have had something to do with heavenly visions, which he could not speak of. But uh, he was quite an example to us in many ways. And then he says, if you get brought before authorities, don't worry about what you'll say. Don't have a prepared statement ahead of time. Now that's not saying don't study the word. Okay, We need to study the word. But we don't need to be worried about what we'll say. Because God will give us the words. In Acts chapter 4, God gave Peter and John the words to stand up against the Sanhedrin. And what was it they said? They said even though they were not learned men, they spoke with such a grace that they marveled that they had been with Jesus. Remember what they said about Jesus when he was walking the earth. They said, no man speaks like this man. And so perhaps they were thinking of that when they said these words, no fishermen should speak like these men. But you see, the Peter that we see in the last chapters of the Gospels, who is running for his life and weeping bitterly in the middle of the night after he's denied his Lord, is not the same Peter that we meet in Acts chapter 2. He's changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing, transformative thing that is. I've experienced that change. I pray that you have. Hmm. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. I think this is an important lesson too because... Sometimes we think, well, I'm not prepared for this, Lord. But He doesn't promise to prepare us ahead of time. He promises to give us grace for the moment. Sometimes I look at what other people go through and I, don't, I say, I don't know how they do it. Because I wouldn't be able to do that. But in the hour that you need that grace, His grace is there.
There's an old song that says, To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. And, I, and I've seen that in my life and in the life of my parents. Paul says that you are living epistles known and read of all men. And I can truly say that I have parents that are living epistles of God's grace and they passed it on to me. Again, not because of who they are, but because of who he is. I met many young children with disabilities who had divorce in their families. Because disability is one of the biggest causes of divorce. I met many children who I knew who were either one of two or the youngest in a family. And I'm blessed with 11 siblings, 10 of whom are still living. Why? Because again, because of the grace of God. Because God showed my parents that even in my difficulties, children are a blessing. And it's because of all my siblings that I'm able to accomplish so much with my life. I thank God for every single one of them. And now, for my in-laws and for my nephews and nieces, what a blessing. So I wonder, have you accepted the free gift of God's grace? We look at Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If somebody gets that, they can read it. And hopefully many of us have memorized it, but I just want it read so I make sure that we don't mess up and also so I, so that we realize that it is in the Scriptures and we can go to it. Romans 10. Verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we see no works of ours in there. All we have to do is believe in our hearts. And confess with our mouth. And he promises to save us. He doesn't say clean up and then come to me. He says come to me and I'll clean you up. I'm so thankful for that. During the Spanish-American War, Clara Barton was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. One day Colonel Theodore Roosevelt came to her, wanted to buy food for his sick and wounded Rough Riders, but she refused to sell him any. Roosevelt was perplexed. His men needed the help, and he was prepared to pay out of his own funds for it. Out of his own funds. When he asked someone why he could not buy the supplies, he was told, Colonel, just ask for it. A smile broke over Roosevelt's face. Now he understood. The provisions were not for sale. All he had to do was simply ask. And they would be given freely. So many people think that they have to do. And Jesus said to us on the cross when he yelled, when he screamed those words, it is finished, that it's done. 
Every other world religion says do, do, do. And Jesus Christ to you and me today is done. 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 Oh, that we would grasp that. Okay, so our third and final point. If we have trusted Him now, what should that produce in our lives? Let's look at this story. And uh, we'll go back to verse 13 again because it kind of overlaps. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he which layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. So, if we have trusted Christ and He's given us so much more than we could ever hope to gain for ourselves, then the response should be that we live our lives with open hands. Just to give a practical application, I try to apply this when I tip at restaurants. Because I, I know there was, I had a certain friend who uh, was kind of a stinker and he would tell me sometimes when we would be out eating, he said, I never tip. And that, that still rings in my head to this day. And so I try to tip generously. And uh, I've heard other preachers say this too, that Christians should be among the most generous tippers in the world. Now that seems like a small thing and a relatively insignificant thing, but when you think about what God has given you, and you think about how He's blessed you, the opportunity to bless someone else by leaving that tip is in many ways the least that we could do. And I think about how we work things today and how many of the charities that we even have still today were started by churches and by godly people <coughs> who wanted to provide for the necessities of others. And now even some of these organizations have been overtaken by the secular mindset <coughs> that we work 
in concert with the government. And where the government can help, the church just stepped aside and said, go ahead, do it. We need to get back to a place, especially as our government gets more and more corrupt, where the church steps up and says, we will do what we should have been doing all We will care for widows and for orphans. We will care for destitute families among us. Because Ronald Reagan once said that some of the worst words in the English language is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I know from living with a disability and dealing with government benefits that it's no picnic. And I'm trying with all of my might to get to a place where they have no part in my livelihood. I'm thankful for what they do. But I often think about what could be different if the church would wake up and say... Let's do what we should have been doing all along. Let's take care of those around us who need help. And let's do more than just hand them money every day. Let's teach them skills so they can be better people. Now I know the sad truth is today we have a lot of people that don't want help from the church because help from the church means hearing about Jesus and the world hates Jesus. The Bible says the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to them that believe it's the power of God. So first of all, if you're a believer, are you acting like it's the power of God? Is it evident in your life that you live by the power of the cross? There's a popular song that I like called Live Like That. By the sidewalk prophets. And one of the lines goes something like this. People pass. And even if they don't know my name. Is there evidence that I've been changed? When they see me. Do they see you? That should be the heart's cry of each and every one of us. That when they see us. They see him. I have to confess that they don't always see him, but I hope that as time goes on, I'm getting better at showing forth his glory. Could we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17? Apparently this was an ongoing problem in humankind, and it still is, so Paul felt the need to address this. 1 Timothy 6, 17, if you get to it, go ahead and read it for us. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to live. I want to point out something that sometimes gets misapplied. 
He says, command those that are rich in this world not to be haughty. He never says, command those who are rich in this world not to be rich. It's not about the amount of money that you have that's the problem. I know some people that basically hate rich people and they say everybody should have the same amount of everything. And if they did, the world would be a great place. And it's almost a sin to be rich. I don't think that this is, that's what this is saying. But what it is saying is that whatever amount of money you get from God, you use it wisely. You can't be generous with a million dollars if you're not generous with ten dollars. This is really convicting to me because often I'm like, well, I wish I had a little more income so I could do more. And then God says, well, what are you doing with the income you have? And I'm reminded, yes, I need to remember that, that you will take care of me. The story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right to even lift a solicitous hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins would adequately meet a beggar's needs. Why give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need. But gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Now as far as I know, Alexander was not a godly man, but what an example this is to us about the God who gives us exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Not only does he say that because we trust him that we will have a home in heaven, and that he will give us new bodies someday. But he says that we can live abundant life now. Because he loves us. It's enough that he keeps us alive. But he also gives us family and friends. And we're coming up upon Thanksgiving. And we're going to, most of us, sit down to huge, heaping, bountiful tables. Because of the graciousness of Almighty God. My prayer for you is that you will, as this third point says, be generous as God blesses you. So let's review our point. Trust God, not yourself. It's easy to trust ourselves. It's easy for me to trust myself. Even though I can't even get myself out of bed in the morning, I still find myself trusting myself at times. Second point, trust Him now. Don't delay Don't tell yourself, well, maybe next year. There might not be next year. Don't be like the man who went on a cruise and he had saved up all his money for this cruise. And so he, and he didn't have money for food, so he spent the whole cruise in his cabin eating crackers. Only to find out when he got to his destination, when the cruise was at its end, that the food was included. The Bible says that he gives us all things richly to enjoy. The food's included, folks. He is the food, the bread of life, 
the water of life. And he never runs out. He said if we trust him, that the water of life will spring up to a, in us as a flowing brook, never to be quenched. So maybe you're on the cruise, but you're not sampling the food that's available. May I encourage you to sample the food, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my life to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more joy overflows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. Oh, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's my testimony. And I hope with all my heart that it's yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be before you. And we pray that we would realize with Theodore Roosevelt that the supplies are there. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And all we have to do is ask for your help. It's so hard as humans for us to ask for your help, but we know that when we do, you help us without delay. And when you do seem to delay, it's for a particular purpose, to teach a particular lesson, because your plan is always being unfolded, and we thank you for that from the bottom of our hearts. I pray that you would bless each of these people, that if they have not trusted you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would not delay. I pray that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. pray that you would go with them throughout their week. And we pray all these things simply because of the cross of Jesus Christ and for no other reason. In Jesus' name.